Hi everyone, welcome back to this episode of the B2B Power Hour. Today I am joined by Laura Erdem, an account executive at dreamdata.io. And I first encountered Laura out on LinkedIn a number of months ago. I have a sneaking suspicion it was Chris Walker who maybe commented on one of your posts that I first saw. But I was so impressed with your content creation as an account executive and also all of the results that you're seeing at Dream Data as a result of what you're doing. And so I thought, let's get her on the podcast and have a conversation. So thank you for being here. Morgan, thank you so much for the invitation. This is one of the big things for me and like findings through LinkedIn that people start to find you. And it's like, okay. And people like start to ask for to talk to us. Like, I have nothing to say. It's just <laughs> commenting on what I'm writing. So thank you so much for acknowledging that. It's a big thing for us. Thank you. Of course. My pleasure. Well, I figured we could maybe get started with how did you start creating content as an account executive at Dream Data? Was it a company initiative? Was it something that you decided you just wanted to do? Kind of walk us through what you what you started with. Sure. So I used to use LinkedIn as everybody used to do it before in time to find jobs and to announce I'm switching a job and then like resharing some of the blogs from the companies I've worked for. And I worked for bigger enterprises, large enterprises, and you're like really aware of the brand. Like, what will they think if I comment something critical? And you never do that then. So when I joined Dream Data, it was not an initiative per se to say, oh, now we have to be active on LinkedIn. But the, I felt the urge that to start sharing stuff. And it was not structured in any way. It was like kind of more of a flow, like once, twice per week, post something. And what happened was, and you mentioned it yourself, I posted a story, and now it's I think like seven or eight months ago, about a customer journey about of our client that we've closed a nice story everybody's happy woohoo everybody contributed we showed how long time did it take and so on everything that dream data could show them with and then chris walker commented on it and he commented it not positively his this is something attribution doesn't work and, and that was cool because <laughs> his comment collected more likes than my post and it was kind of an accelerator of everything's like our CRO is looking at it and saying, okay, this is cheap marketing. Let's make it a team initiative. <laughs> so we've agreed as a team, let's start posting more regularly. We agreed on that. And uh, we said, if we reach 300,000 views in a quarter, we go for a dinner. And we knew we were going to reach that 300,000. No. And how many people on your team? I don't. I think at uh, that time we were seven. So in okay. the team, meaning that all the revenue team by sales, marketing, customer success. Awesome. In our own pace, whatever you like, just post stuff that is relevant to dream data, bit of your personal story, just go. That's it. Mm -hmm. And we started it. And slowly, yeah, we hit that 300,000. No problem. We hit 500, over 500,000 in a quarter. We went for a dinner. Amazing. And it stuck. It stuck with me. It stuck with our CRO. We post daily. It didn't stick with some of the other colleagues as much, but it's a personal thing too. It's like, totally. I like to do it. I enjoy it. We can talk about what does it bring really and how do I create content? But for mm -hmm. some other people, it's more of a challenge to be out there 
And it is even something they achieve by posting once a week. Amazing. Fantastic content. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started really to, to do LinkedIn posting. That's awesome. So yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you think about creating content? Obviously, there's a I having followed your content, there is a mix of personal stuff. There are stories from Dream Data. There's other things that that you've posted out on LinkedIn. So if you're posting daily, as I, I took a break at the end of the year, but uh, generally speaking, I'm also posting daily. So I understand sort of the okay, what's the next thing I want to talk about? Sort of question that a lot of people ask. How do you go about thinking through, like, what, how do you create content? What are the questions you ask yourself? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a mix. So first of all, I make sure that what I post is valuable. It could be very short, but it is valuable in the sense that either entertaining, that's valuable too, because people love to be entertained, or short stories that people might find valuable. And then I mix it up once in a while with some branding stuff and like people would know the brand or at least what we do. So the subjects are always the same. Sales and marketing collaboration, customer journeys and so on. And then when I get ideas from podcasts like yours, from some ebooks that I either read or listen to, I write stuff down very quickly. Like what could be an idea for a post? What could it be I could talk about and so on? And then I run out of those ideas, just like you know, this, like what is going to be the next thing? When I run out of ideas, then I either go to our blog and pick up an idea that our fantastic content writer wrote, but just make it very crisp and short, like 200 symbols. That's it. Post it out. It's not mine. It has a twist of my own personality or something in it, but, but just do something that people would find relevant to read. Then if that's not enough, then I do any something else very sneaky. I go to my colleagues post, I copy them and then rewrite them a little bit because they're much smarter than me. They write amazing posts. Mine are like ah, mediocre, nice to talk to people and so on. But then I pick them up and then push those. And as you mentioned, oh, I'm taking a break during Christmas, I decided I'm not going to take a break. And I, all that creation process, actually, I'm also very open on LinkedIn too. Like mm -hmm. I ask people, how do you do that? How do you approach it? One of the posts. Okay. People say, oh, I take breaks. People say, oh, I schedule my posts or I do this and that. And then the next one is, how do you schedule a post? Then during summer break, I scheduled all of my posts and those were just copies, more or less of what I had posted before or what my colleagues had posted before. So just to keep the flow going, yes, a little bit fake because I'm not there to answer the comments and the views are dropping, but, but still, I'm still out there. So some of the things are less personal that you would expect putting yourself out there, but don't blame the person. And the way doing. Totally. Well, and I love what you're pointing to as well is that there is sort of an expiration date on content in an algorithm as big as LinkedIn. And I think this is maybe more visible when you go to something like TikTok where videos 
cycle through very quickly. But on LinkedIn, posts really expire after a certain amount of time. They don't get additional visibility. So why not take some of the be- your your highlights or even stuff that you just thought was really good from a year ago or six months ago and repurpose it slightly to provide additional content for you today? Um, especially because you probably have a new or a bigger audience today that hasn't seen that content already. Amazing point. Because And try it out. Because yes. if you pick up something that was performing very well a year ago or a half a year ago, repost it, and you'll see that it will actually explode even more than it did back then. So what I sometimes do, we use Shield for analytics. I go to Shield and take a list and filter out all the best of the posts. And then, especially when out of ideas, and then like write it a little bit differently, post it out again. I was like, huh, then I don't need to work that hard anymore. <laughs> it's great. It's a, it's such an easy way to get through content. And then I, one thing that um, I hear from a lot of sales professionals is I, sort of like, how do I know it's working? But that is usually asked in a couple different ways, which is, should I care about comments and likes? And then should I care about views? And then on top of that, how do I know that that's actually making a difference in the deals that I make. So that's like a multi-step question and yeah. however you want to go about answering that. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So I care about comments and likes and views only because we all people like to be liked. <laughs> it's kind of nice to be liked. But I actually <laughs> also care about the negative ones. I love them because they start the conversations. So for me, it doesn't really matter if a post has gathered a lot of views or comments or something. If I made a good post and I find it valuable, then I'll later will go back to it as well. But I love when I get some comments and posts, when I get the love. And another thing about comments and posts, it's not just the views and the likes and the comments, but it's also how do people see you? We kicked off another thing. Our CRO came over to me and did a very sneaky question asking to me, said, Lauren, do you dare to go on video? Never did video before. And he asked a salesperson, do you dare to do something? Like, okay, let me put the sleeves up. I'm there. And videos don't gather much views. It's like 10 times less than the, the, than the regular posts do. But on the other hand, people see me moving. People see me talking. How do I articulate the future clients? They meet us and they feel how it will possibly be to collaborate with that company. How will it be if I asked a challenging question? Will they be there to answer those questions? What if I took a demo with Laura? Will she be able to articulate or understand my needs? And it's like a step closer to selling to the real client and then they like feel okay we could have a nice conversation with this person and she possibly not only just going to sell to me but can share some insights that i can use so it's kind of helping you to one step closer to a conversation with a real icp prospect it could be that there will be a lot of people who want to talk to you that are not icps but you will bring some value and then later you will meet the ones who will you actually be selling to? 
So that's kind of a one part of the fold, like views, nice, all that. And then moving on to being a real person who can help to purchase the product. Another thing, when you're saying pipeline, when you're saying, does it generate anything? As we chatted shortly before, it's like old fashioned LinkedIn social selling, or at least activation of salespeople on LinkedIn for managers might have been like, why do I want my people to post on LinkedIn? They're just going to expose their own brand and they're just going to get jobs very fast. I don't want that. I want them to go out and call the real clients and then get the clients. What we advocate in dream data, and that's how we did the challenge as well, is the marketing and sales handshake. This work goes hand to hand. Sales work is changing big time. The recent years, the shift has been crazy. When I joined dream data, I failed a lot because I used the old fashioned ways of working like prospecting, call outs, cold emails and so on. I hate it. I don't know how many people <laughs> love it. It's like nobody's answering. Everybody loves to be loved. <laughs> and then nobody's answering to you on right. the thing that you're annoying because you're writing the same emails over and over again. And people want to see the value before they actually reach out to you. So the Chris Walker demand generation discussion comes in there big time. Because salespeople, I find it very valuable that they have to be out there doing a bit part of the marketing, but marketing has to be there to boost their work as well, both by helping them with content and to help them sell, kind of meet in the middle. And then as soon as the demand is there, salespeople run with it. And especially if they run with their own personal brand aside, crazy powerful. That's so interesting you point this out because I feel in many ways it is not just um, a collaboration between marketing and sales efforts, which I do want to get into how that looks like at Dream Data in a second, but it's also a different way of thinking about your go-to-market strategy as a company because it's not what I see often in other companies, larger and smaller, who run more traditional playbooks is marketing has their own things to do and oftentimes their lead generation. And then sales has their own things to do. And it's a mix, depending upon where the SDRs sit, sometimes it's prospecting, but then other times it's calling the leads that marketing generated. And it's a fairly inefficient process based on the data that I've seen, especially anymore since buyers' preferences have changed over the last couple of years. And what you're pointing to is not just an alignment um, between sales and marketing, but a, a different way of thinking through your go-to-market as a company in which all of the stages are handled by, even you said earlier, a revenue team, which I found very interesting, um, instead of here's marketing, here's sales, here's success. So could you uh, uh, illuminate a little bit how that works at Dream Data, um, not just in terms of collaboration between the teams, but how all of these pieces fit together? Yep, Definitely. So the big mastermind of everything is our CRO. He's amazing because he sees opportunities in places that not everybody will see. And at the same time, kind of the way we see LinkedIn and the rest of their like more traditional marketing, so to say, it supports each other. So imagine if a CMO is using a 
certain budget on Google Ads. Google Ads still work. Fantastic way of generating leads. And you can become better and better in a slow pace at getting more leads through Google Ads. Nice. But if you can kick off some smaller initiatives that say pow in the market and maybe work, maybe not, but that very cheap, then you will like strengthen that journey really fast because you will continue riding that horse that is really good at it, but then you will add some speed into it from, let's say in this case, social selling. It was him who said, let's do it. It was him who said, videos work. Let's go there. Let's try it out. If it doesn't work, it will not do anything to the brand because it is people who we are setting out for free, like setting free in, in the market. And if I say something stupid, something that is irrelevant, people will forget it in two minutes. If Dream Data said something that is not resonating very well, it will not play that well for the brand, possibly, at least for a longer term. So that collaboration starts with idea generation. And we all find where can we get more demand from and what kind of channels might work. And LinkedIn was one of the very successful ones for us. And yeah, and Stefan, he makes, makes sure that blogging is working well. We've got an amazing content writer. We've got some very good design, a designer who's making great job. And then it's strengthen each other for sales to sell easier as well. And for sales not to sound too salesy either. So if I picked something up in the way that I find it's like very nice way to sell to people, but it doesn't resonate, then we don't want to use it. We don't want to do it. But... Yeah, so, so that's how more or less how I see it. Actually, one thing that we found out just recently, if we post, vid not videos, um, pictures of our designer, he's amazing, on LinkedIn, nobody's liking it. I was like, but if we draw this same picture in hand and then post it as a picture along with the text, amazing, personal brand, wow, works. So it's kind of that's insane. A hand -hand <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting too. That it's uh, what I also hear drive some of this is a, a deep willingness to experiment to to see what not just from the CRO level, but even yourself as an individual account executive and other people in your company. It's all about okay, what works, you know, and just going out there and trying it. And as he said, if it falls flat, people forget. It's not a it's not a big deal. You know, we we don't forget being the content creator. We're like, oh no, that post only got <laughs> I just had a one that bombed the other week of like 180 views. It didn't go anywhere. And that's fine, you know? It happens. And then other posts get 25,000 views or or more. And and I feel like that continuous willingness to experiment is so crucial when it comes to creating content because now it's not at least in my view, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, now it's not just a one and done. It's not just let's create one piece of content and put it out there and see how it does. Now it's, okay, well, we put this piece of content out there and it didn't do so well. Let's try it in this way. And then that one does really well. And then we're like, okay, let's try a different one, but in the same way. And then that one does really well. And now you're onto something. And all of that comes from that willingness to innovate and experiment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And of course, it's easy for us to say when we're a small team, 
it's very easy to experiment. It's very easy to fail fast and to get up again and do stuff and so on. It's, I would imagine, it's much more tough if you have a team of 100 people in the revenue team, sales and marketing. Then it's very difficult to kind of kick off those experiments. Then you need some spearheading people who will be doing and willing to fail and willing to experiment in some ways, both from marketing and sales, so we can see how those two meet and then scale it further. I haven't seen it work yet, though. And that's mm -hmm. something that we're looking into now because we're scaling a dream data very big and we would like people who join us to continue the journey that we're doing, but we need to find a balance of how to enable people's personalities to, to continue posting and at the same time, not to be too pushy. It's okay if you post once a month, if it is the pace that you are catching up and yeah, so it's it's kind of yeah. a very big balance, actually. Mm -hmm. So let's return to something that is really interesting to me because there's a blog on Dream Data site about this, and this is one of the original pieces of content that you had shared with me, which is it you got you posted stuff and you got a lot of views, but it didn't stop there. Mm. There was, um, if I recall, there was additional site traffic. There were clients that coming that were coming into. Um, uh, your pipeline. And and I think that this is sort of useful. We sort of avoided the conversation of what Dream Data even does. But I, I think it's it's a good segue to talk a little bit about multi-touch attribution as a concept and a strategy. And then also how you think about the impact of creating content as an individual account executive on all of those other pieces and parts of whatever you want to call it, the funnel or, or however you conceptualize the customer buying journey. Sure. So yeah, dive on in. <laughs> Definitely. So just to park it on the side is that everything mm -hmm. cannot be measured. So never you will get a hundred percent attribution of everything. So there will be things that are not measurable and that's okay because that's where we're having fun. Right. Mm -hmm. So. After that one post that I mentioned that Chris Walker commented on, we could see that our first touch for MQLs 3x with a source of LinkedIn as social. That one we were able to measure because people are coming into, people are seeing our post, then they go into the Dream Data site on LinkedIn, click on the link, visit website, and browse around. And then they leave, nothing happens. All right, but then later when they come back and possibly when they already have that problem, they fill out a form to contact sales or start the free product of Dream Data, then we will be able to attribute that social touch back to that point when the person came in and left, didn't do anything. So the first touch would be social. Another thing that happened that our direct traffic has two wexed that week. And that's amazing for just one post. So we were able mm -hmm. to see that trend and that's where the great balance comes in. Can you attribute it? Can you measure everything? You can't, but you can see some correlation between things. So we kicked off this initiative and we can see our traffic slowly picking up. It could be that it's still because we had a little more traffic on Google, because we had more people reviewing us on Captera and coming in as first touch from there, but then we can see it where do they come from and which channels work. So in this case, 
not for them to see us as a brand for the first time, but maybe to find us when they actually know us, when they've heard about us, then they go to Captera, reviews, click around, come to Dream Data. Okay, now we know they came from Captera or they came from LinkedIn or Google or came in directly. So we start mapping that customer journey. And with that customer journey map, you can start doing optimization of your marketing and sales channel. And that's where that handshake between those two teams comes in as well. Because if they're able to see how we're generating demand, like let's say just sales posted, they can see how we're generating de demand and sales. And then later we have meetings with the prospects and marketing can see what people are actually reading while they're in the sales process as well. We can map that too. So it's kind of a the multi-touch view of the full customer mm -hmm. journey. That's really powerful. Even... Um, even less from a data perspective, although that's crucial, and being able to measure different parts, that's very helpful. But from a strategic side, thinking about your activities in a nonlinear way, I think is really liberating as a company because now it's not, oh, we have, we're going to do three different channels to generate. I'm going to be the classic marketer from 2012 for a moment, excuse me. Uh, we're going to do three channels and we're going to run ads and we're going to generate top of funnel traffic to a landing page that then they download our white paper and put in our email and then we do a nurture sequence and then our salespeople follow up and then we close a certain percentage of total volume. And that maybe worked for three to four years, maybe. I, and at the time, having been a web designer and a consultant, I, I wasn't super convinced. But especially nowadays, it seems buyers are working non-linearly and not just between what I know Chris loves to call dark social between these channels, Slack groups and otherwise, but also visiting and talking through tons of different sites and then coming back and visiting again and then going and doing more of their own research and then coming back and finally wanting to talk to someone because they're interested in in selling. And what it sounds like is you're trying to, it's it's not just sales enablement because that's sort of like the classic bucket. It's an entire way of strategic thinking through the customer's buyer or the, excuse me, the buyer's journey um, from first touch all the way to becoming a customer. Absolutely. And just to add to what you're saying, that older fashion marketing and sales, buyers hate it. I mean, if I'm getting all those emails, nurturing emails from you, I'm like, I just get tired. It's possible that those are valuable, but nobody knows if they're actually valuable for that certain person. So if we don't know how they react to it, how can we send three more retargeting emails, retargeting at those people? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, following how people actually want to buy. So one thing that we did at Dream Data, we kicked off the free product as well. And that messed up the sales cycle even more. Because then I started thinking, okay, we've got the free product. Why do we need sales? Like, they come, they try, they talk to customer success, and then they buy. Goodbye. <laughs> but what happened as well is that both the marketing channels started to change. The way people find the free product is a different way that they want to be nurtured, or at least what is it that they find valuable. So when I reach out to a free account, I reach out to help them out to be successful on the free account. And so that they can test it out 
And then later, well, I will ask for money if you are exceeding the amount of monthly tracked users and so on. But by that time, when I'm asking for money, you've already seen the value of Dream Data. You've already seen how is it to work with them? How helpful they are? Do I, they answer my questions? Do they have a Slack channel for me just to post stuff very quickly when I need help and so on? So like the whole view of the way sales is working, even marketing has shifted totally. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And one thing I want to maybe point out and ask a little bit is a lot of sales professionals I talk to at different companies that are either bigger or have a different leadership style don't feel empowered to ask the questions or look at the things that you're looking at, which is sort of this full life cycle perspective of the customer and being willing to adapt and change and do things a little bit differently. Um, a lot of both SDRs and account executives and account managers even feel maybe straightjacketed by some of the um, procedures and operations that the company has. So uh, keeping that in mind, of course, mm -hmm. how do you think through your own sort of uh, uh, like willingness to try new things or adapt to buyer's preferences. And obviously it starts with company culture. As you mentioned previously, you have a CRO that's very uh, innovative and, and that sets a good tone. But it, what it sounds like to me is you're almost going above and beyond some of the normal, let's say that in quotes, roles and responsibilities of an account executive and really thinking through each individual customer and what they need. So like on a weekly basis, how, is it just something that comes naturally to you or is it a skill that you've built over the years? And how did you do that? For me, curiosity is very natural. I love to kick off new things. I'm really bad at completing them though. <laughs> but, but when something new is coming over, then I'm all into it. If I was to start something, if a team was to start something, I love it. Absolutely love it. And it's, it's very joyful for me to, to see some things being built like in front of our eyes. And for me, the shift to product led was a very big shift. It was, I wouldn't say I was worried because I knew that we're going to do cool stuff and we will adapt of how we're going to do things. But, but it was not easy either because then I started to look for how we're working together. What's working best is does customer success have bandwidth to help all of our free clients so I can sell to them later? Or do I have to take that role to begin with if they don't have the time? And then how do I come in as a salesperson and show that I'm actually willing to help, not just willing to sell to you? So that, that came very naturally for me. But, but it's something that for some people might be easier if you already had a playbook or at least an understanding of what is it that we're looking into. So one thing our CEO said several times was that when we kick off the free product, we're going to start dancing. And by dancing, meaning stepping on each other's toes. We're going to be stepping on each other's toes a lot at the beginning. Customer success sales, marketing, how do we work? How do we push the mistakes back to engineering if something is not working and so on? So as soon as we know that we're stepping on each other's toes when innovating, that means we're dancing. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I think that's such a good uh, way of thinking about it. And, and it also helps, it almost creates space for mistakes and normalizes them, right? Uh, which is crucial at that uh, stage of transitioning to a new go-to-market strategy and a growing team and everything else that's going on uh, inside Dream Data. That's really cool. It was. So one question that um, I had to sort of return to content as a theme here is how do you, let's just like break down your approach to LinkedIn on the day-to-day. So obviously you create content. And then what else do you do on the platform? So I guess you might have heard a lot of those tips and tricks of what to do. So the first thing when we kicked off on LinkedIn, it was, of course, the the key thing is content. You have to post something to be relevant. But another thing, very important, connect with your ICPs. I connect all the time with the ICPs that are on our radar, like marketing professionals, SaaS, B2B companies. And as soon as you have a stable connection base, then it's much easier to reach even more views of the buyers as well. Then as soon as I connect with them, well, people say that, oh, bring value, oh, make uh, good con- comments and so on. I do that too, but, but you quickly get out of energy to do it very well, like to comment thoughtfully on a lot of posts and so on. So I make sure to comment some, which is valuable for 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 my followers and so on but but then not to like kill myself either with that drain of energy that now i have to comment now i have to bring value and so on and in addition to that if i really cannot comment then i like posts of the icps that pop up in my feed as well because as soon as you like and comment on their feed then they will start seeing more of your posts as well. I've seen that trend over and over again, that if I like some of the ICP's posts, they start seeing them. And the way I see it, it's also an amazing way. Like you create polls, I create polls sometimes. They're not always very valuable too, but when I really am curious, I create some polls and ICP's, they respond to my polls. Like you never liked, you never responded anything, but you're seeing this. That's already great. Amazing. And then you can like move on and do some more sequencing with, with them or just sit and wait till they come to you. Totally. So do you also do like a conversation that we've had before with other sales professionals, but also people who train on LinkedIn is sort of leveraging not just connections, but like direct messages as a way to kickstart a sales conversation. So at Obviously, your marketing engine is is procuring uh, inbound traffic anyways, and all of the content is also procuring inbound traffic in sort of a broader demand generation sense. But are you doing like individual outreach on LinkedIn as an account executive, or is that handled by other folks on your sales team? Um, or is that just not as big of a priority since content is driving so much interest? Um, I don't do cold pitches on LinkedIn. Yeah. Never. And, and that's... Yeah. Kind of because I don't like to be pitched myself as well. <laughs> it's like, I really hate it. It's like, I don't know you. Why are you writing all that stuff to me? I don't even do those, like another, like softer approach, like, oh, hi, nice to follow you. And then in three, four, mm-hmm. five days, and say, oh, I saw this post. Uh, here's a pitch. <laughs> I don't do that either. <laughs> so I am responsible for the full, uh, like, journey of the client from they become an SQL to work with them or even before, like to try to convert them. 
but I don't do that directly. I, I, and maybe I should, sometimes I feel really urged, like, okay, you have commented mm -hmm. and liked this stuff and so on. I think I should write to you. <laughs> I think I need, like somehow you need to kick that ball into the pitch anyway, because mm -hmm. I know you need us. I know you even comment the stuff that we're selling. Like, and then I just sit on my hands once in a while for that, <laughs> like yeah. not to, to, to do it. And then prospects come by themselves afterwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a very mm -hmm. difficult thing for sales. And I think for sales managers, it would be a very difficult thing also to kind of tell that, okay, I'm not going to be pitching. I'm going to sit and wait. I'm not paying you for that. <laughs> Don't sit and wait. Yeah. Go pitch. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but, but we need to find a balance of how to do it. But as soon as your prospects, they know about you. They know what you stand for, that the way you're posting, the way you're talking, it's much easier to approach them and ask either for help or even there are times I'm almost lying. There are times and saying, oh, come on, this is not a pitch, but should we be talking about this? And then they can tell me because they know what I stand for. And I didn't have to do that. Oh, we are specialized in this and that. <laughs> yeah, the little song and dance. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's how I approach it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a, a key insight for people who listen in uh, that there's lots of different ways to, to use a platform. And one way isn't necessarily the right way for everyone in every industry at all times. Like there's lots and lots of different ways to leverage a powerful and big platform that LinkedIn is and all of their different tools and, and features. Um, uh, as sort of as we're nearing the end of the time, Nick recently has sort of turned the tables on his guests, and so I've been doing that with my guests on the podcast. So I wanted to turn the tables and ask if there was anything you wanted to ask me while we were together here uh, before we close. I'm out. always curious about how do you generate leads through podcasts? Do you? It's a great question. Uh, it's one of those that is not directly attributable. I know. I know. How do you? Think? Uh, it's. <laughs> It's inherently unattributable. I, you know, so as a brand guy and as a brand strategist, the way I think about a podcast is it's almost like a first vanguard or a first effort in educating an audience about what you do. Because while there is, and there's such power in that too for me, because while there is the ability to follow either Nick or I or you out on LinkedIn, they only get a certain amount of content over a period of time based on what the algorithm knows. But a podcast is a library anybody can listen to, and they can listen to as much of that library as they want and at any time that they choose. And so there's, it, and as you do more of it, obviously the magnitude of that listening grows as well. So at a future point in time, let's say we have 100 episodes on the podcast, there are more or less almost 100 hours of education somebody could get by just listening to the podcast so that they would know what Nick and I are up to or what I'm up to. And that can kickstart a conversation and do a lot of the education in a different way than a traditional blog or a traditional video or something like that. So I, I, you know, I don't necessarily think about lead generation directly off of a podcast, but I do think about when that lead or that future client is in the awareness of us, that they have this resource 
that they could tap into and learn a lot about us and the expertise we provide without us ever having to say anything besides just keeping on producing the podcast. So that's how I think about it at least. I think it's fantastic. And what I would (laughs) add also, the guests that you're having, they're also your ICPs. And the first Mm -hmm. encounter for me was your invitation to the podcast. And there I've got all the links. I said, uh-huh, now I have some things to click around. And then, well, the word of mouth will follow as well of, of the various things. So I, mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you for that. Of course. Of course. Well, thank you for asking. And thank you for joining us today on this episode, Laura. It's been such a pleasure. And honestly, I've learned so much, not just about Dream Data's approach and the way you think about leveraging content, but also different ways to sort of conceptualize a strategy around content on LinkedIn, less about individual personal brands and thinking bigger, thinking about the entire customer um, journey or the buying experience for a customer from first touch on some platform to the whole complex web that they interact in all the way until they uh, uh, purchase from you. So thank you again for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.